if we can, just a couple of questions. Sure, go ahead. Will you tell me um, your name and uh, where you live? My name is Sarah Nurson. I currently live in Astoria. And you just, well, this turkey is mm. really trying to get this recorder. Hello. Um, will you tell me... Uh, oh! <laughs> it's got a little bite. <laughs> it's just going to turn the volume down. But I'm scared. Um, will you tell me um, what you just did? Or, or t- you just came in here? Uh, this is uh, maybe my third time this year bringing in a pigeon that I found on the street outside my work. Five minutes earlier, Sarah Nurson had entered the door of a storefront on Columbus Avenue on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. I was talking to her in a folding chair, and a giant turkey kept trying to peck my hands and the microphone. Sarah had just handed the pigeon she had found and carried here in a lift to a volunteer who had ushered it away to be examined. She had found the bird during her lunch break. I asked uh, someone to run into a store and grab a paper bag for me really quick, which is, it's a little awkward to walk into a restaurant when you have a pigeon in your hand and go, uh, may I? Um, And so I tap someone on the shoulder and say, could you grab a bag for me really quick? And you just saw that the pigeon was, was out, was on the sidewalk, not moving much. Right, on the sidewalk in a little corner, hiding, uh, not moving, and didn't even flinch when I reached down to pick her up. Isn't it funny that we spend our lives taking care of pets and pet birds and dogs and cats, but we somehow, it seems to me, have a blindness for things, animals that are on the street? Well, yeah, and I mean, there's a fairly strong, uh, well, how do I put it? Um, Propaganda seems a bit strong, but there is a very strong public message that pigeons are dirty and cause diseases. And, well, there's something like, what, 200 of them downstairs right now? And uh, people handling them every day, they're just fine. I'm just fine. It's, uh, pigeons are shockingly clean, honestly. There's probably 230 birds here right now. This is Rita McMahon. She's the co-founder and director of the Wild Bird Fund, an organization that is solely dedicated to caring for New York City's wild birds. As we were talking, a turkey that had been saved from a slaughterhouse during Thanksgiving was following a chicken around the room. A Canada goose was napping on a mat by the front door. It was like a waiting room for birds. And this is an American woodcock who seems pretty quiet and not bad off. Oh, isn't that a pretty bird? It's wonderful. It really looks very exotic with its very long beak. And the eyes are way far back in the head. Where was he headed? He was headed south. He was going south. He's and just he's ended up here. in Columbus, in Columbus <laughs> Avenue, New York City. Well, if he's lucky and he checks out, he will get a ride to Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn, where there's a whole bunch of woodcocks hanging out, and one of our volunteers takes him from here and will release him there so that they don't have to go through the gauntlet of buildings in Lower Manhattan. New York City is in the middle of the Atlantic Migratory Flyway on the East Coast. Many birds making their way south for the winter or north for the summer along the Atlantic pass through New York City. There are 355 different species of birds that spend time in New York during the spring and fall migrations. And they all have to navigate not only the buildings of Manhattan, but also getting through one of the most populated cities in the world. There are also the birds who make Manhattan their home, like pigeons, which is the bird that is most often brought to the Wild Bird Fund. The pigeon room is downstairs. There were more birds there than I'd ever seen in one place in my whole life. 
And this room has a lot of, there's a lot of pigeons in this room. Flying free right now, yes. So while their cage is getting cleaned, they're out for two to three hours. And they have their social life. It's speed dating, and it's, you know, everybody gets to know each other. The young birds bond with each other so that when they're released, they actually (laughs) go out with a posse of friends, and that's very helpful to them. You can tell the age of a pigeon by its beak for the most part. So that one there has a wide beak. This is a youngster, too. Hi, can you show your beak? Well, no, no, I'm not that young. I'm a (laughs) post-teen. your beak, sweetie. And he also doesn't have all his feathers underneath on the top of his throat. So you know he's very young. At one corner of the pigeon room, we spotted a little yellow baby duck safely tucked away. Isn't he cute? He's growing up here. His life has been entirely here. I got hatched and I came here. So he's a little stuffed animal of another little duck. Yes. And I like it. It's good to have company, but we keep him company, and he spends time in reception. There is a black-backed gull upstairs, and a swan in a tank of water, a kestrel falcon with an eye injury, and a cooper's hawk with broken legs. Near the front door, there was a pigeon that looked like it was wearing a white mink fur coat. We call her Belle du Jour, but she is a specific breed with the collar of feathers like a stole. And she, she flies well. She's in great shape. But she was found on the street. In fact, all these fancy pigeons were found on the street. We are fantail pigeons. That's a red. She's called a New York flight. Her husband is up there. He's been with us longer than any other bird. His name is Apollo, and he's a Damascene. These are very specific breeds, but they just were found on the street. Rita says there's only one requirement when someone comes to bring a bird to the Wild Bird Fund. They have to realize that they can never ask for the bird back. The birds that are brought here are strangers to the person who carries them in, which is what Rita says makes the whole thing special. New York does care, and people go so far to try to help a bird. They will spend half the day until they get to us, and it's very heartening that they care that much. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. There was this one woman who worked for very expensive uh, jewelry shop on Madison Avenue. She dressed in a white Chanel suit, high heels. She was very, very fancy. Victoria was her name. And there was a pigeon in the middle of the street on Madison Avenue, and the cars were coming and whizzing by. And she stood out in the street, and she stopped traffic, And then the bird runs underneath a parked car, and she gets down and goes under that car to get the bird. And she shows up here, and it it was shocking. She was terribly besmirched, but she had saved the pigeon. In a Chanel suit. In a Chanel suit. (laughs) What's so great about a pigeon? Oh, I think pigeons are remarkable birds, and and it's been proven. Uh, If you go through the New York Times, you'll have a lot of different articles about studies with pigeons. The one I love is the article called Paging Dr. Pigeon. And that was a test where they took normal pigeons 
and trained them how to read mammograms. Now, they did it for seeds. They were being, you know, if, if they've pecked the right thing that this is cancerous, they got seeds. And the success rate is 85% that they were accurate. Uh, and they've done other, many other studies, and it's pretty phenomenal. They go off the uh, intelligence chart. Rita McMahon has been interested in birds her whole life. She grew up in rural Connecticut, across the street from a vet, and started helping him when she was 13. She would bring the animals home at night to take care of them and watch them when the clinic was closed. Snapping turtles, rabbits, pheasants. She moved to New York City for graduate school, where she says she immediately missed the interactions that she'd been having with animals. And then, one day in 1995, she found a bird. I found a Canada goose on the side of 684 who's right on the road. I mean, like cars whizzing by and and the wind of the car would move his wing. Uh, I stopped my car, picked him up, put him in the back seat and covered him with my raincoat. And I came down and got on the phone. And I was on the phone for three days. Could not find any place that would take him. New York was the only major city in the United States that did not have a wildlife rehab center. She kept the goose in her bathroom, in her apartment on the Upper West Side. She couldn't find a vet to treat the bird because it was wild and not a pet. So she pretended that it was her pet. But what I did, I went to Animal Medical Center. I put my credit card down and said, this is my pet. It is not wild. Will you treat it? And they said, okay. So they took it. And then I got a phone call the next day. I say, come pick it up. He's fine. So they did nothing and they knew nothing. And it was like, so there wasn't a way to help them here in the city. That's the number one animal hospital. But no one there knew wildlife. Rita worked in market research. But she increasingly became more and more interested in finding places for wild birds to get help and treatment in the city. She began working with a wildlife rehabber. And because there was nowhere else to bring injured wild birds, she just brought them to her apartment, baby pigeons, baby sparrows. She'd take anything. She says at one point she had 60 birds in there. Did your husband ever say, this is getting a little out of control? Oh, he says it frequently. So, but no, not quite. He was warned. The person who introduced us actually said, I, I gotta say one thing about her. You know, and he was an ex-boyfriend. He goes, I think the world of her, but she's got a thing for birds. You better know that because the birds are staying. <laughs> In 2013, Rita quit her day job and started taking care of these wild birds full-time. She began renting the store space on Columbus Avenue. Since the Wild Bird Fund opened, they've seen over 36,000 birds. On a typical day, 20 injured birds might be brought in. About half will die. They treat birds with all kinds of injuries, lead poisoning, building strikes, cat attacks, car accidents. They don't turn any wild bird away. The goal is always to release the bird back into the wild. Central Park is only a couple of blocks away. And for the birds that can't be saved, they operate a kind of bird hospice, making a bird as comfortable as possible before their death. Rita says if they decide that a bird has to be euthanized, they'll dim the lights to make the bird more calm and sometimes feed them their favorite worms or insects. 
Can a bird sense, and, and you see all different species of birds, can a bird sense that you're trying to help it? Absolutely. Turkeys in particular know we're helping them. And then the, probably the more colorful one was uh, a red-tailed hawk. And what we found was that she had walked in wet tar. And the wet tar had made her knuckle in with her feet. With tar encasing her feet, she would not be able to, one, walk well, but she wouldn't be able to catch prey. And we use these six-inch long Q-tips to put on mayo. Mayonnaise takes off tar, and it's not toxic to the birds. So we're using these long Q-tips as we hold her foot, trying not to get taloned by her, even though she's like this, but at some point she'll be able to move it. And then we realize the bird's doing her utmost to open up the foot so that we can get in there and get all the tar. So then we just let, slathered it with our hands, and, and she was like, yes, 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 this is what I want. And we, you know, 45 minutes is a long time, so then we put her back in the cage so she could rest because you don't want to stress them out too much. And the next day, and as soon as she's in the cage, she's like, wow, she's a real monster. She's a big, big girl. The next day we go in, Joy throws the towel on her, brings her over to the table, lays her down on the side, and out from the towel come the two legs with the feet extended. It's finish my pedicure. And we did, then and there, and she went off this next day. So she was only here with two days. It was great. New York City has an estimated 8.1 million people and 7 million pigeons. For many New Yorkers, pigeons are the wild animal they see the most. They're everywhere. Not everybody would pick up an injured pigeon on the street. What have you learned about the people who... It's it's a lot of people come in and said, I can't believe this is the first time I ever touched a bird or whatever. But they, particularly in the pigeon department, more times than I have counted, but they will say, I looked at that bird and it looked at me. And I knew it wanted my help. And the pigeons do make eye contact. And it works well that way. What do you think happens to us when we hold or interact with a wild animal? I think particularly when someone has rescued that animal and actually has held it and finally get it in a box and invest the effort to bring it here, I consider them one of the converted. I think they then have a greater sensitivity and they have a real connection, have established a real connection with nature that they rescued that bird. They're part of the team now. This is Love comes from Shopify. If you've ever had a dream of starting your own business, Shopify can be a great place to start. Shopify is an online platform that lets you sell things online and in person and makes it incredibly easy to accept all kinds of different payment methods, figure out how to charge taxes, how to charge shipping, and get detailed top-down views on how your sales are going. Some of your favorite brands already rely on Shopify to power their online shops, like Rothy's, Brooklyn, and Allbirds. But you don't need to be well-established to use Shopify. They'll help you at every stage of your business and have tools to help people who are just starting out, 
like their AI-powered tool, Shopify Magic, or their built-in marketing tools that can help you create and analyze campaigns. Shopify grows with your business, no matter how far or big you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash thisislove, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash thisislove now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash thisislove. So tell me, how did you meet Maria? One day I'm walking around the lake and one of the park employees that I knew taps me on the shoulder and he says, Hey, Dominic, you know, when you're walking around the lake, you're being stalked. This is Dominic Erler. He's 74 years old, and for the last 30 years, he's lived in Echo Park, a neighborhood in Los Angeles. He used to go out and do a one-mile loop around Echo Park Lake every morning. He was doing this walk one morning, about 10 years ago, when he heard that someone was following him. He points to this goose about 50 to 100 feet away, I guess, and says, her name's Maria. And he laughed. He thought it was funny. But I looked at that goose at the distance, and that goose was just glaring at me, just like, you know, when an animal's stalking you or looking, you know, staring at you. And I waved, and I said, hi, Maria. I uh, came back the next morning, and I'm walking down the sidewalk towards the lake, And lo and behold, here comes this goose out of the blue, stops right in front of me, looks up, wags its tail. And I'm not kidding. My little heart would start beating like bump, 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 bump. I I mean, it's not like I was frightened, but something happened. And I looked down and I said, well, Maria, would you like to take a walk with me? I start walking. We walk the whole mile around the lake. Sometimes she'd be in front, sometimes on the side, sometimes a little bit behind, but never more than about six feet away. Well, Um, that's a long, a mile is a a long way to have anything follow you. Well, especially when you consider geese are very territorial. And they uh, generally, now their territories may move over the course of time, but generally speaking, like the northwest corner, there's a certain gaggle there, or the southeast corner, there's another little gaggle of geese there. But once you get outside their territory, they'll turn around and go back. The next morning, Maria, a big gray Toulouse goose, was there again, waiting for Dominic. And then the morning after that. And where was she? Usually, you know, if you were, you were, say, you're pretty prompt about when you would show up, where would she be waiting when you walked in? You know, actually, it, it varied. Uh, sometimes she would actually be waiting at the end of one street where I'd approach, but other times she'd be out on the lake. And I would just call out and I'd say, hey, Maria. And Maria would swim over just like uh, just as fast as she could and come out of that water and walk up the ramp and give her their little caw, caw, caw. She'd be so happy and wag her tail. And then we'd, be, we'd do our march. And would she always walk next to you or sometimes behind? Did it ever change over the, all the walks? No, she'd always be in front, uh, always about three feet in front. She led the way. What were people's reactions when they saw you and Maria walking together? I, th- I, think, I think they were jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Dominic would ride his motor scooter to the park, and when he would get back on his scooter to leave at the end of his mile loop with Maria, she'd fly above him, following him, until he got to the boundary of the park. She would just go airborne, and she'd fly generally either, generally speaking, on my right or left. But one day I'm going down the street, and... I knew she took off, 
But I looked in my mirrors and I couldn't see her. And I t looked around, I couldn't spot her. And I yelled out, I said, hey, Maria, Maria. And lo and behold, she, the top of my helmet goes like, I don't know if you could hear that, but she just took her, her um, paws and just hit me on the top of my helmet like, I'm here, I'm here. She knew somehow that I was at calling her. During their walks, if Maria and Dominic passed a dog or another goose, she would hiss and try to attack it. If Dominic spent too much time talking to someone else and not paying attention to Maria, she would start squawking. If that didn't work, then she would start pecking at them so they would go away. They saw each other every day. And then, in March 2011, after they'd been friends for about a year, Maria was moved away from Echo Park Lake. Dominic knew it was coming. A big lake restoration project was planned. The lake would have to be drained. So Maria was moved to the children's section of the Los Angeles Zoo. When tell me about the first time that you visited Maria at the zoo. Tell me about what that was like, and, and did she know you right away? Well, you know, when they, the way this works, when you go into a zoo, you can't just go in there. An animal has to go through a quarantine process. Um, and especially considering Maria came out of this lake uh, that could be disease-infested and who knows what, what could be there. Yeah, I guess it was a month or it was quite a while that she was in quarantine. And fortunately, the zoo allowed me to stop by and pay a visit like every couple times a week. Uh, which I did. Uh, I'd have to put on a big suit. Um, but I'd be able to go in there and, oh, she'd be so happy when I'd stop by and pay a visit. And they had a little tiny little swimming pool for her. And uh, all the other animals at uh, the petting section were pretty much scared of Maria. When they let Maria out into the yard, all the other animals, the donkeys and the sheep and you name it, they'd all scurry off into the corners. They didn't want to mess with Maria. <laughs> <laughs> was she always excited when she saw you? Yeah, always. She'd come right up? Oh, absolutely, yeah. When Maria was relocated to the zoo and seen by their veterinarians, everyone learned that it was in fact a male goose. The zoo renamed the goose Mario. Dominic came to visit many times a week. He would set up a chair in Mario's pen and feed him little bits of lettuce. This went on for years. And then, after seven years, Mario started to decline. Dominic started to realize that Mario was getting weaker. One day when Dominic arrived, the staff at the zoo told him that Mario wasn't doing well. The next day, the zoo director called Dominic to tell him that the goose had passed away. Well, I lost a friend. It's, uh, I think we always, uh, we become very attached to animals, I think. I think you, there's a certain love that you get with animals that you just simply can't replicate even with human beings. She wouldn't let another goose near me. She wouldn't let a dog near me. Dominic still goes to Echo Park Lake a couple of times a week, even though Mario isn't there, and he thinks of his friend. When you go there, do you ever uh, talk to the geese? I avoid con eye contact with geese. <laughs> you don't want to get started again. No. Are there things that remind you of Maria? Well, every time I go to the lake, it's obvious. You know, it's like uh, 
Over the years, I've had so many friends there that I can't go there without, without people asking or talking or bringing it up or whatever. Uh, quite a famous little denizen that was, was at that lake. Uh, everybody loved that goose. Here's a little audio of Dominic and Maria spending time together in 2011 in a video for the Wall Street Journal. If another goose gets near me, she goes ballistic. This is a little clan <laughs> gang of four. And that's Beelzebub, uh, Snowy Downey, and Little Ross. And she gets really mad if I say anything kind about it. All right. Okay, you're, you're the only one, Maria. You're the only one. Thank you for listening this season to these stories about animals. We've loved making them. If you appreciate the work, please share the show with a friend or consider a donation. To make a donation, go to thisislovepodcast.com and on the menu, there's a link that says donate. We'll also put a link in the show notes. Thanks very much. And we'll be back in the fall. This is Love is created by Lauren Spohr and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Susanna Robertson is our assistant producer. Audio mix by Rob Byers. Julian Alexander makes original illustrations for each episode. You can see them, along with photos from our visit to the Wild Bird Fund, by following us on Instagram. We're at This Is Love Show. We're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Search for This Is Love Show. This is Love is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX, a collection of the best podcasts around. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. Radiotopia. 